tormented artist. You've heard the term, hell, you may even be one yourself. I know I was. For years, I was absolutely convinced that if my art wasn't the albatross around my neck, that I was somehow unworthy of the title. Why is that? Why do so many of us feel at one point or another that the suffering is necessary, that it's somehow inexorably linked to the intrinsic value of what we make? Well, that's exactly what we're talking about in this episode, and it all begins with a Nine Inch Nails concert in 1990. I'm Jeffrey Sidoris, I'm talking to John Wilkening, and this is In Between. Okay, so here's the setup, right? There's there's a story. Sure. I'm going to take you back, John. John, I'm going to take you back to 1990. Actually, 89. An article popped up in my feed that on October 20th, 1989, Nine Inch Nails released Pretty Hate Machine. Okay. Which is now one of my favorite records. But back then, I had no idea who Nine Inch Nails was. So that record came out in 1989. In 1990, uh, March 27th, to be exact, I was in Atlanta at the Roxy seeing Peter Murphy. Because my friend Memo had invited me. He, he and Peter had been friends for some time. And he said, oh, Jeffrey, you must come to see Peter. And <laughs> okay. So I went to Atlanta. I was in, where would I have been at the time? Maybe Texas? Maybe. Anyway, so... I went to Atlanta to see Peter Murphy and opening up for Peter Murphy was Nine Inch Nails. And there was buzz, right? People talking more seemingly about Nine Inch Nails, you know, in, in the, the lobby and, oh my God, have you seen this band? And I'd never heard of them. My head exploded. <laughs> I, was, I was so not prepared for what I was seeing. I, in fact, I didn't understand what I was seeing. I just didn't have the, the musical, I don't know, stamina <laughs> to understand it or to, to deal with it. But I remember being absolutely blown away by this band and by the energy of Reznor. And, and this was a, a type of music that I really didn't know much about. And it, it kind of took me in a different direction and I started listening to Nine Inch Nails, but then like Skinny Puppy and, and Throbbing Gristle and, and like all of these different sort of very heavy, uh, I guess, industrial kind of music. Anyway, so the, the, the reason for all this setup is in the article, they were talking about the success of Head Like a Hole mm -hmm. and how Reznor had struggled with this record and just sort of toiled over this record. And yet the lead song that came out of it was Head Like a Hole that he says he just kind of wrote and wasn't even considering putting it on the record and was actually kind of pissed off that <laughs> that's what took off, that that's what got all the all the the accolades because he didn't feel like he put the time in or he didn't feel like he deserved it you know because mm -hmm. it was almost a throwaway it was almost a throwaway song and i just thought that that was interesting 
that that that's what would upset him, you know, and he, he did this this uh, interview with Kerrang magazine. And he says the fact that I that it produced this huge reaction really pissed me off because I hadn't agonized over it. So this idea that I haven't suffered for this and yet that's the thing that took off. I've, I've been kind of chewing on that for a little while and wanted to wanted to bounce it around with you because we we have a tendency to do that, right? Like I've put everything I've got into this and it falls flat. But this little whim of a photograph, of a painting, of a poem, of a whatever it is that you write or produce or create, if that thing takes off, is is there is our first response resentment because we don't feel like we've earned the response? I I th- I think that's a very human response because of so much of growing up is is purely outcome based mm-hmm. in terms of like effort to outcome right and i picked up this i'm not sure who said it but basically like the only thing you can control is the effort mm-hmm. and so it's human nature especially in art to almost measure yourself by the effort you put into something in terms of its value and importance when to the audience the effort that you put in almost doesn't matter Mm -hmm. they just respond to the creation in and of itself right but how do we square that against all of this talk about the muse and, and waiting for the muse and waiting for inspiration? If, if that's true, right? If, if we are waiting for that, that flash of brilliance or that flash of inspiration, doesn't that sort of run contrary to having to toil and, and agonize and angst over creating the work? How, how do you, how so in terms of that juxtaposition? Like, how do you think those two match up? Well, I don't know that. That's what I'm saying. I don't know that they do. Like the the idea of waiting for the muse or waiting for inspiration to strike seems like it's it's taking. We're abdicating responsibility for creating the work while at the same time claiming responsibility for creating the work. Oh, I I see. For me, the idea of inspiration is sort of um, a myth. Mm-hmm. or um, probably closer to a fable in that the idea of inspiration and the muse and all that is almost an engineered story to explain how we got to something great when everything else we've done hasn't reached that level. Mm-hmm. So because, is, is there no inspiration? Is there only effort? And And we've sort of conflated the two no inspiration occurs but it's not controllable Hmm. you know you and i would probably both agree that we've been captured or swept up by an idea and that idea propels us to something that we may not have arrived at previously it pushes us in a way that is different than our previous work but the thing is we, at the end of the day, we don't know where that idea has come from. Mm-hmm. They just happen. And the problem is when you, when you look at it from the standpoint of 
treating it treating sort of creativity as as other work is that like the almost the factory idea of like you show up there's a scheduled output like you do work you get this result mm-hmm. well in the world of creativity that there's not a linear output right and so so we create this idea to explain the almost unexplainable you know we, but how did our explanation become suffering why does that have to be and i think a lot of us have gone through it myself included i've i have felt that if you know if i were going to be somebody or be something or create work that was important that i had to suffer for that i had to be tormented that i had to be depressed that i had you know all of these things that some find out isn't true and now don't get me wrong there are other people for whom depression is a is a fantastic motivator you know mm-hmm. i listen to a lot of music that's kind of a downer and I kind of like that it's depressing or I kind of like that it's somber or sad or whatever it is. And when it takes a turn away from that, I find myself kind of going, oh, I don't like this. Get back to the, you know, don't be happy. Get back to the other stuff, you know? <laughs> um, so why, why has, why has suffering and, and sort of angsting over what we make become almost the yardstick by which we measure its worth. I I think it's 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 a way of explaining how you end up with something that is more than what you previously created. Mm-hmm. I think it's very difficult for humans to to look at their output and go yeah, one this one day I just managed to have the perfect mix of everything and it just resulted in something that is truly great. Mm-hmm. You know, like a perfect example is when you look at like the Magnum contact sheets, right? There are, there are photos that are like iconic in the history of photography. Sure. You look at that contact sheet and is, there's garbage before it and there's garbage after it. And there's that, that one moment or that one yeah. way of seeing. Well, you've you've experienced that, haven't you? I mean, you oh, hundred percent. Arguably, you don't bring any more skill or intuition or insight on Tuesday that you do on Friday. Mm-hmm. But there have no. been days that have been standout days where you couldn't take a bad picture. A hundred percent. And so, what happens is, in in a weird way, you feel like you didn't earn that image or that song. And so we basically generate a narrative that tries to create a transactional relationship with art or creativity Mm -hmm. that if you suffer enough for creativity, that it will give you X. You become worthy of its, of its rewards or whatever. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So do you, in your life, do you discount the things that come the, the creative things that you've produced, do you discount those things that come easier? Do you cast them aside as, well, it can't be that good because I, it, it wasn't that difficult? Or do you, are you able to embrace that? So something that's difficult, I, I personally value more than something that comes easy. Mm-hmm. And I mean, 
that gets into the whole thing of why I shoot film versus digital. Right, right. Not not because the images from one are superior to the other, but because of either how I, you know, just for whatever reason, that's who I am mm-hmm. in that, you know, I look at something and the struggle that is put into it, it means more. Sure. But it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't mean that when I like stumble on a great photograph that I immediately discount it. But what it means is that I get to a point where I, I get very disinterested if it's not hard. Mm -hmm. You have to have those variables of, of, I guess, time and effort have to be Mm -hmm. like, you know, T plus V you know, equals M for meaning or something. Yeah. yeah, that, yeah that, that's exactly. gotta be in your process. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. I, I think I'm, I think I'm uh, by and large similar, but then where does experience, where does previous experience fit into that? You've, you've spent 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, five years, whatever it is that you've been doing, what it is that you do. How do we factor in that as a, as a variable that, that helps to make the present creative process easier. Do you know what I'm trying to get to? Yeah. Yeah. I think in some ways what happens is your, your judgment and taste and sort of knowledge of the, of things get sharpened over time Mm -hmm. so that, it becomes a continual refinement of your skill and craft so that what becomes difficult for you is impossible for other people. So are we, are we in a constant state of sort of balance and tension between, between experience and effort and inspiration and expectation? I mean, is there, is there something in there like those, those, it seems like those four things have to be in the process somehow. Mm-hmm. I, I think it, I think it becomes, a a a continual push and pull mm-hmm. between all those aspects. When I think of balance in that spectrum, I don't think of like a, a seesaw or a scale perfectly equal, like balancing itself out. Mm-hmm. I see two kids pulling on a rope equally as hard, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, like sometimes it goes a little one way. Sometimes it goes a little, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Because I think, I think it's one of those where if you, you do things that are, are too difficult for your skill and knowledge, it becomes impossible. Until it's not. Uh, until it's not, yeah, yeah. but, but you have to, you can't, you can't be doing things that are too easy because you get bored and uninterested, but you can't do things that are too hard because you'll give up. There's a, almost like a sweet spot of mm-hmm. where you want to be doing things that are just hard enough that it forces your attention right, and forces you to continually improve but not hard enough that it, you give up and you get discouraged. Right. And it it seems that it also needs to be dappled with those little aha moments or those little happy accidents that instead of taking you a step forward, they might take you a leap forward. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. They give you those, 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 you know, those bonus points of, of, you know, now you, instead of just walking, you've, you've leapt forward and skipped some of this other stuff. You may have to go back to it, but in that moment you go, Oh, well, this was unexpected. Yeah. And I think that's where you get to like Chuck Close's classic, like inspirations for amateurs. Mm -hmm. The rest of us just go to work. Mm -hmm. So what's the tipping point then? If there even is one, maybe there's not. I mean, it, I think for some people there's, there's never a tipping point, but what is in your life, what's been the tipping point where there was a difference between suffering for what you wanted to create or, or toiling over it or angsting over it and, and just being engaged with it, being engaged fully in the process of making, but not having to be pulled under by it. Because I think when, when, there is, there is a danger, well, danger is maybe not the right word. There is a, a possibility, and I think a lot of us have gone through it, I know I have, of being pulled under by process where all that you see is the struggle and all that you see is the work and all that you see is what I'm doing isn't good enough mm-hmm. to get out of my own way or to get out from under all of this. Has there been a tipping point for you? And if so, what was it? I think it comes down to whether you're being driven by the idea in and of itself mm-hmm. or your or the imagined outcome of that idea. Mm-hmm. Give, give me an example. Do you have do you have one? I mean, the the classic that comes to my head is just are you creating a photograph because that you think that code, photograph deserves to be in the world? Or are you creating it because you think it will sell mm-hmm. or satisfies you, you, an audience yeah, or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. You know, are you are in Trent Reznor's case, are you making a, a song and like crafting it because you think it will be a hit? Right. Or are you crafting it just because you were swept up in the everything that surrounded that song and it just was born into this world. Right. I mean, his, his is an interesting story for me. I, I mean, in the way that I read it, he was, I mean, there was an actual anger at the success of this song. There was a resentment <laughs> yeah. like how, wait a minute, how, how is it that you like this thing yeah. when I have worked for months or years or whatever it was on all of these other songs, but this is the one you glom onto. Yeah, I I think that's also a, a manifestation of that this this thing where as artists we appreciate the subtlety in our own work in a different way than the audience might. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that you know there might be this thing that you spent like six months trying to figure out, and you finally figured out how to do it. And so that's, you're like, that piece right there is like, I'm super proud of it. I love this element, all that stuff. But it's the audience member just reacting to the piece itself without that storyline. Mm-hmm. And so, so they just go, oh, that's a, that's a really awesome song or that, you know, where, but. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, where, <laughs> It sort of reminds me of like um, they were talking to the chef and 
it's someone asked them like uh, for recommendations when they go into their, a restaurant and he goes, it, it basically, he was like, yeah, you could order whatever you want, but he's like, if you want an interesting meal, what you do is you tell the waiter to give them the most popular dish and then whatever dish the chef is most proud of. Hmm. Because they're often two very different meals. Right. And it's the same thing. Like there's there's images where like I I figured something out in this image, but it's not the best version of that idea. But but because it was that first one it holds special place for me mm -hmm. because that's where a whole nother line of work began. It was the one that was like, Oh, that's, that's the thing, you know? So in some ways, our perception of our own work is very tainted by the effort and the work that's required to produce it. Right. So where does that get us with context? Cause I know that there are, I mean, you and I have talked about this and we've experienced it with other people. There, there are a couple different schools of thought where the work that we make shouldn't require any additional context, that you should be able to um, enjoy it, appreciate it, experience it on its own. But then there's the other school of thought that, that says that context is king and, and context allows you to experience the work in a different and perhaps deeper way. My personal feeling on this is that the work itself has to st be able to stand alone mm -hmm. by itself. Without any that, additional Without any additional. Yeah. Now that additional con context can, can expand and increase my appreciation for the piece. But if I have to understand an entire context to why this exists, to me, that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been into so many museums where I've looked at a piece and I'm like, it, it doesn't make sense. I don't get it. And then someone's like, well, this is a reaction to that, which is a reaction to that. Like, and then it's like, oh, okay. I sort of, I get where they're going at. Mm-hmm. But to me, that almost feels like a masturbatory piece. You know, it's one of those where like you're just you're just home, you're just bragging about how much you know and about this art, you like this very specific thing. Mm -hmm. But when it has to stand completely free of context, it doesn't work. But that's my personal opinion. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm just I'm trying to think back on on some of the some of the shows that I've seen over the past year or two where there there was one I think it was the Outliers show at the National Gallery and there were some pieces in that show that I I just I couldn't understand them and I I mm -hmm. read and reread the context and I'm looking at it and I'm reading the card and I'm looking back at the piece and looking back at the card and it just didn't click at all of why this thing is here and why it, A, why it's art capital A and B, why is it in this museum? Like, what is it that somebody else is seeing 
that I'm not seeing. And I'm not saying that I'm some, you know, great understander or, or uh, appreciator or curator of art because I'm not. But if you're going to, if you're going to build a show around a body of work, there's a part of me at least that thinks that that body of work should be able to be understood, maybe not fully, but at least an, enough to see why it's there. I don't know. I don't know where I'm trying to get to with this. I, I think you kind of know, cause we've got this shorthand. You, you kind of <laughs> know where I'm going, but I'm not able to say it. Like to me, art communicates to an audience. It could communicate an idea, a feeling, something, but it's a conversation. And that, and like pieces that need contacts for me feel like I'm walking into a middle of a conversation that I'm not a part of. Mm -hmm. And maybe don't have any interest in being a part of. Yeah. 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 And and it's one of those like, okay, cool. You could talk, talk amongst yourself. I'll go over here. Right. You know, that, that's the feeling I get with that. Do you get a different feeling? Is is there a different relationship we have with with art? And I'm I'm thinking, you know, sort of quote unquote modern art that that correlates with the rise of the sort of commodification of art. Where I mean, people are buying art not not because they like it, but because somebody told them it was going to go up in value. So is there a different? And that's not 100 percent the case, but it is. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of art just sitting in vaults waiting to yeah. be you know waiting to appreciate in value is our is our relationship has it become different because of the commodification and because it's seen more as in some cases anyway as as a product and not as an expression or as an experience i think uh, part of that it comes from art in terms of the, like the the business side of art mm-hmm is a game of of being cool like selling that's why i don't get it (laughs) (laughs) trust me i'm (laughs) same boat there yeah but like but there's almost like uh you don't know this because you aren't cool enough to know this you know why this is you know like maybe maybe this is off base but like there's so much of the world is go- is going oh this is the hot new artist mm-hmm. and you're like i don't get it and they're like oh, of course you wouldn't get it because he's the hot new artist right right <laughs> you know, like where yeah you you live in ambler pa you're not gonna get it yeah exactly yeah, you live in silver spring maryland you're not gonna get it either. but like you know you look at any of the famous famous artists mm-hmm Famous like, now or famous historically famous? Like, are we talking like Jeff Koons, that that kind no, of thing, or like Monet, Picasso? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because like even even someone like Rothko, who, if you want to say, like, it's one of those where like you stand in front of Rothko and you're like, I don't get it, but I feel something. A hundred percent on that. Yeah. <laughs> and part of the beauty of that is you going. Why do why do I feel something? It's just colors, mm-hmm. but it is like no one has to explain to me that that's special, right? And and to me, anytime you need someone to tell you something's important or valuable in art, 
that's a first that's a sign to me that it's not exactly you know, it's, as as a finance guy, do you do you draw parallels between what's happening with art and what's happening with sort of startups and and mm-hmm. tech companies yeah. that kind of thing? Where we're, everybody's trying to con- not everybody, but we're trying to be convinced that this is the next big thing. Yeah, no, it's a hundred percent the case. Mm-hmm. Where if you, you know, if I can go on a rant about this, but like you look at, <laughs> don't it, let me stop you. <laughs> You look at most of the big tech companies that are blowing up now. Right. And it's like, are they an actual business? Do they make money? Mm-hmm. And they're, that's a flat big no. Yeah. I mean... Well, you're we're I, seeing Uber and WeWork and other companies that have just... They've blown through their venture capital and now they're hemorrhaging oh, money. I mean, even a company like, say, Netflix. Mm-hmm. Everyone has Netflix. It's great. As a company, they're still burning through cash. Right. And it's one of those things where it's like, you haven't built an actual company yet. You know, Tesla is a perfect example. In the last three years, Tesla has burned through $12 billion. Wow. Is that really, is that, wow, I didn't know they burned through that much. Yeah. They make great cars. They don't but make great. Com- they don't make much money, though, do they? No, no, you don't make a business, <laughs> right? And unfortunately, you know, this may be someone may pull this back a couple of years and laugh at me, but like, I firmly believe Tesla will go bankrupt at some point in near future, because as a business, they're not like it doesn't make sense. Hmm. But like, you know, t- to go to the art world, it's one of those where like. If someone has to explain to you why this is such a good deal, it's not a good deal. Hmm. If someone has to explain why something is is a great piece of art, it's not a great piece of art. So how do we gauge it then? How do we gauge what is is it do we go back to Rothko where it it you just have to feel it because certainly there are people that that know a lot more about it than at least speaking for myself, a lot more about it than I do. Where is that information coming from? Where is the where is the goodness gauge coming from? Who knows? And like the the thing is also that they, you know, they could be responding to something that's they they could feel that that's great art, mm-hmm. but you don't. And both are true. Right. And right. It doesn't. Yeah. It, it's not only great because I feel that it's great. It might be great to me. It, it's like food. Mm. I could be like, this is the greatest meal I've ever eaten in my life. And someone could be like, I don't like spicy stuff. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, like, and, and both are 100 percent true. Yeah. And yeah. That's but, a, that's a but, great example, actually. But the thing is, the great artworks of history they're great because they move more individuals. It, perfect example. I don't really like the Beatles. And, it, it, but... It, is that really true? Yeah, I'm not... I, like, I love covers of Beatles songs. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> However, I know... They are one of the greatest bands of all time because of how many people think they're the greatest band of all time. Mm-hmm. 
And I know that my feeling on them is the anomaly. And I like, I totally, I totally understand it. But like, if, if you, if you go name your top five bands of all time, Beatles aren't in that list. Hmm. Were they ever? No, I know. But like, that's probably part of it because most people's parents love the Beatles. And so as kids, a lot of people heard the Beatles. Mm -hmm. I didn't hear the Beatles as a kid. So like when I heard them, you know, coming from like punk rock, hardcore background, I was like, what is this nonsense? I'm a yellow submarine. <laughs> no, you're not. Uh, Sit down. How much, how much drugs are you on? <laughs> Sober up, George. Come I'm a walrus. <laughs> pick, pick a prettier animal. <laughs> so. So like it, it's a perfect example. Like I know they're one of the greatest bands of all time. I'm just go. It's not for me. Right. <laughs> See, I I kind of in a similar way. Like I I really want to try uh, going to Alinea sometime. Sure. Chef, Chef Grant Ackett's restaurant. Mm-hmm. I know that I don't have the palate to even understand what he's putting on my plate, and I will probably hate a lot of it because. I, I, that's just not the type or or way that I eat. But enough people have put his cooking on such a such a pedestal who who know more about it than I ever will that I I want to experience. I almost want to experience what I'm missing. You know, mm-hmm. I, I yeah. want to I want to have that experience so that I can go. Huh. Okay. This is this. So this is what in, in this realm, this is what good is. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and I love tasting menus from restaurants. I love going into a restaurant and, and basically going, the chef's going to give me whatever the chef wants. And you don't have to know what, what it is. Like you're okay. Not knowing what you're eating until after you've eaten it. No, typically what happens is the waiter sets the plate down and mm-hmm. goes, this is the dish that's in front of you. Okay. This is something because, I've never done, obviously. Uh, yeah. But I love being taken on a journey like that because I'm giving complete control to the professional and he's going to take me through a range of things and flavors and things that I would not necessarily pick from a menu to eat Mm -hmm. and i love that that sort of you know potential for surprise because like if i go to a restaurant and i get a burger i have an idea what that burger is supposed to taste like Mm -hmm. i make burgers at home there's a bare minimum of a burger that it has to meet to have a pleasant experience (laughs) right you know, right, like right. I've definitely had a burger at a restaurant and I'm like, I could do this better at home. Right. But it still qualifies but, as a burger. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. it's still a burger. Yeah. But when you're at a restaurant like that and I get, get something dropped in on my plate, it's a, it's going, Hey, I'm going to take you to places and ideas that you may not consider or do on your day to day life. And we'll see if you like it. Mm-hmm. And I love I love that journey. I wonder, okay, how does that connect 
for you? Because I, I feel like there is a connection in how you appreciate visual art in the same way. You want to be able to see the journey without having the journey explained to you. And, and is, that, mm-hmm. is that fairly accurate? Yeah, that's... I like the... I like having the feeling where I go, I don't know how he created that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how I look at every Crutzen photo. I'm like, how did this guy do this? Yeah. Try, Me too. <laughs> hashtag a whole entire team. Yeah. But, yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, but like, you know, same with like, um, Robert Frank's photo of the, the woman, I think is named Mary, maybe. The classic photo with the lady with a kid on her lap where it's like, what is her world around her? Like, how did you get that? How did you like, I, I like being asked questions and sort of like trying to understand how they got there. Hmm. But like, it's one of those things I want to be able to look at and go, that is intrinsic. That is good to me. Right. You know, it's sort of like when I when I taste a dish is put in front of me and I taste it for the first time. My first question isn't how do you come up with this? Is is it good? Once I've sort of reacted to the intrinsic nature of the thing, is it good or not? Then the other question is, okay, how did you figure out to put those two things that I view as opposite together? Mm hmm. And then how does that fit in the series of dishes that I've got? All those questions are secondary to does this taste good or not? Right. Do I find this appealing, pleasing, comforting, whatever, whatever words you're using? Yeah, sure. And I approach art in a very similar way in that do I react positively to this image? Mm -hmm. And then how did they create this? Like all that sort of stuff. All those secondary questions sort of. Pop it. Do you not have those same reactions or do you not ask those same questions if the answer is no? If you taste something, for example, we'll, we'll, we'll do both examples. If you taste something and, and the is it good question comes back with a no, do you, do you not bother to then wonder, well, I wonder why he did it this way or why she did it this way? Uh, I ask those questions like, what are they trying to get at? Because someone at some point thought this was a good idea. Mm-hmm. You know, people don't create work because they think it's terrible. Every, every work that's created because someone thought it should exist. So what are they responding to or why did they make that decision? And does that carry through into a painting, a photograph, etc.? Yeah. I mean, do you, do yeah. you still... You, it sounds like you still have similar questions they're just coming from a slightly different angle or perspective yeah but i also think that it has to almost reach a minimum threat it has to be something where i've also seen definitely bad enough photos where you just go next like <laughs> it's so uninteresting <laughs> that you're like you're like i don't even not want to know why someone thought this was a good idea right so like I do also think there is a, a threshold where it was like you could you could fail bad enough that I have no interest in seeing why you created it, mm-hmm. you know. And are you done with that person's work entirely or do you just dismiss that piece of work 
And would it be the same way for the food example? Like if the first plate that comes down is a complete miss for you, are you interested in the second plate or are you done? I'm interested in the second plate merely of, is this the peak level of this person? Is this like, Mm -hmm. or was that an anomaly? It's definitely rough when you miss with your first thing. It's you, you almost want a, a, a quick win so that I at least trust because if you miss on your first time, that's a that's a rough way to get. You know, right. It's hard to through. come back from. Yeah. 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 Because then it's like you have no idea whether that person has, if you want to say, the skills or the decision making to actually succeed. Right. Because you have no evidence of that. Where if they put at least one successful dish in front of you, you're like, OK, at least he has some level of skill to warrant paying attention going forward. Right. And like the, the crazy part of like cooking and food is that there is a performance art to it that is often missed. In what way? How do you mean? You could have a great dish that someone just overcooked a little bit. Mm, Okay. I see what you're saying. In that, in that, like, you know, just like any sort of athletic performance, there are days where you have everything clicking and, you know, the food is just on point. But then you could have a day where, like, everything just is going a little bit off. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, the food's not getting from the kitchen to your plate in the speed that it should to ensure that it's at its, it's putting its best foot forward. Sure. You know, like there's so many different aspects to just putting food on the plate that get missed in the, is it good or is it bad? Right. And, you know, the same way there's days where when you have a camera or the paintbrush where you could put your effort, but it's not going to be your A game. Right. You know, it, you could be, you know, it could be just one of those rainy days and you're like, ah, you know, I don't feel like it today. Or even conversely, it could be a beautiful day and you're like, man, I could be at a baseball game yeah, with right. some buddies, you know, like <laughs> right, right. fill in the blank. Like there's so much of, you know, what we do is driven by so many different aspects mm-hmm. and it's like sort of thinking about it in terms of like what gets the end product and the best chance of success. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes but even that's, uh, it's so subjective. Success. Oh, 100%. How? <laughs> I know? mean, that's, we could do, we've done podcasts on yeah. that one. <laughs> I mean, I, th- I think that that's such a, the, the ideas of success and good are so a there's they're, they're, they're moving targets, but mm-hmm. we get so, myopic about them. Yeah. You know, and to, to go back to people like Liz Gilbert or Anne Lamott, you got to make a lot of bad stuff before you get to the good stuff. Yeah. You don't have to suffer through it necessarily, but you do have to get through it. Yeah, no, it's, I, you know, maybe part of the reason why there's such a weird relationship with suffering in art, Mm -hmm. because in some ways that's, that's what, I don't know, we feel drives things forward or has an impact on that. Yeah, I, I have, 
I think I'm at a place right now where I, f- I feel like, I don't feel like it's a suffer. I don't feel like I'm suffering through it because I feel like if, if I, if I take that route, if I go that route and allow myself to sort of, you know, in some level, go back to college, Jeffrey, where everything was such a, everything was so heavy and such a struggle and you had to, you know, I feel like I miss the lessons that are in there because I'm so preoccupied with having to be miserable. Yeah. No, I can see that. I think I've spent enough time being miserable. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it really feels weird when you, when you have like that effortless success is something we're not really prepared for. You know, when, when an idea just, you know, I, the idea I think of is like, you know, when you hit a baseball and you catch it so clean that it do, you don't even feel like you hit it. Right. But the ball just flies a mile. Like sometimes you have photographs like that where you're like, I don't feel like I even put anything into this and this just worked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, there's that, that f- famous story of uh, Lawrence Olivier coming off stage and, and he's, you know, did this incredible performance and is, and, and he just storms off stage into his dressing room, slams the door. And his wife is like, you know, what, what's going on? You were brilliant. What, what happened? What's good? You know, what's wrong? And he's like, yes, I know, but how did I do it? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that, that wonder, that's what I would rather chase. That's what I would rather, uh, the carrot be is, is, is trying to figure out how I did it and trying to learn through that uh, rather than being obsessed with, I don't know, being miserable over it or being, being so weighed down by trying to make something interesting, compelling, beautiful, whatever, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I think it's something where that is a far healthier place to be. Yeah. And, and I think that's, in some ways, that's what we need to get at more than anything else. Is just being in a spot where we're we're healthy enough mentally that we could keep on producing, rather than viewing it as some weird payment for the art. Subscribe to In Between in your favorite podcast app. You can also get every episode of In Between, as well as my other shows, iterations and process-driven and special one-off conversations all in one feed by subscribing to Jeffrey Sidoris Everything. If you're enjoying the shows, I'd love it if you would leave a review or a rating on iTunes or share them on your social media. Connect with me on Instagram and Twitter at Jeffrey Sidoris, that's J-E-F-F-E-R-Y-S-A-D-D-O-R-I-S, or on my website at jeffreysidoris.com. You can also email me at talkback at jeffreysedoris.com. I'd love to hear from you. You'll find John on Instagram and Twitter at John Wilkening. That's J-O-N-W-I-L-K-E-N-I-N-G or by visiting his website at johnwilkening.com. As always, thank you very much for listening. I appreciate you being here and I'll talk to you on the next one. Mm-hmm.